have so many questions. I have so many questions. Well, if there are many unanswered questions. Good morning and welcome to episode 237 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Today is Wednesday. It's our email show. I think this may have been my favorite email week ever. Uh, there are a lot that, that I want to talk to and we'll get to some of them. Uh, so I picked out a bunch. Sam has not read them, or at least <laughs> he, he may have read them when they initially uh, came to our inboxes, but not since then. Um, so I'm just going to start. Uh, this is like, uh, this is like uh, it's like an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyways? Every episode is like that, kind of. Um, okay, so this question comes from Robert. He had a, a long intro that had to do with our discussion of FIP from, I guess, last week or recently, and about how maybe it isn't working as well anymore. And Robert wants to know, uh, given the relative newness of sabermetrics, do you think there's a point down the road where we look back comically at what we're using now? Will defense ever be universally quantified, or will we shake our heads at how much we relied on war in short, what do you think the biggest weaknesses are in sabermetrics, and where will we be 10 to 20 years from now? So basically, uh, I think his question, he wants to know what stats that we are looking at and consulting and citing regularly now will we, I guess, regret doing so later or or look back and think how, how not advanced we were? Uh, are there any that you can think of that were... Uh, that we were using 10 years ago that are laughable now? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it seems like there there were a lot of less advanced versions of what we have now. Uh, right. Like, I don't know, like range factor um, or runs created or something like that where it's or just a less... Or when, yeah, when Warp would have guys who were like, you know, regularly 12 to 15 wins. Yeah, right. Um trying to think of a of a stat that we've just totally discarded like nothing coming to mind right away um i guess i guess i would say the answer for what we won't be using or what we'll have left behind would be probably anything that relies on on a subjective human classification probably uh mm -hmm. any sort of batted ball stats line drive ground ball fly ball um Anything with with fielding zones, probably. Uh, yeah, I think that I yeah, I think it's a lot more that they're going to be refined to the point that they're sort of unrecognizable. Um, maybe like I think that BABIP will essentially be probably replaced with either expected BABIP or BABIP broken down by uh, hit trajectory, uh -huh. maybe. Like, I don't think that you'll ever see, like, oh, he's got a 272 Babbitt, like, in 10 years. I think that you'll see he has a, uh, you know, he has a 272 Babbitt and a 320 except expected Babbitt a lot more than you would just see the number in isolation. Um, or you'll see all three. Like, you might see a Babbitt slash line where it's, like, grounder, line, line drive, fly ball, uh -huh. maybe. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, like, war, I don't think war can really, seems to me hard to say that war would ever be uh, right. outdated because it just, it's a thing that, that is being 
refined. It's like, yes. I mean, it's like saying recipes will be outdated. Yeah, uh, it's like, like Tom Tango draws a distinction between the framework of war and the components of war. So the, the idea of putting all of these things together and, and weighing them appropriately seems sound. Um, so it's just the, the refinements of the individual components and maybe replacements of the individual components. But the idea of including all of those things and trying to figure out how to weight them seems like something that won't go away. FIP seems to be too blunt to be of much use, except that it holds up so well. Uh-huh. Like, it doesn't seem nearly complicated enough. It just feels like that'll be gone, right? I mean, like, how, how could you possibly look at just those three things in isolation? Yeah. And yet, it just, it, it holds up so well. Like, I mean, it's, you people put so much work into doing a better job. I mean, we do, we well, put work into doing a better job. And yet, it, you know, they're, they're, it's really probably, like, I don't know that, I don't know that at this point anybody has really created something that has much added value to, you know, more than maybe 1% of baseball fans. Well, I was talking to Colin Wires about that a couple days ago, and I was actually going to say that maybe ERA estimators or expected ERA estimators, which is the, the latest thing, and just constantly refining uh, these measures of how a, what a pitcher's ERA should have been based on his peripherals and all those things. Um, I wonder, I mean, Colin thinks that most of those things are, unnecessary really because you'd always kind of rather just have a projection of what the pitcher's going to do than than you would have a single season FIP or XFIP or whatever um which kind of makes sense I mean we look at we look at FIP to I guess kind of identify what pitchers are going to do for the rest of the season like they've their ERA says this but they've actually pitched this well and Theoretically, they'll continue to pitch that well, but the, their ERA will start to look more like their FIP. So why why even look at that if you can just look at a projection, which is updated daily and incorporates both the latest things that a pitcher's done and things that he did in the past, which are still predictive? Mm-hmm. So maybe that's something. Uh, yeah, I think it has. I think it has entertainment value as a retrospective stat as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, so maybe, maybe it only does now because we're in this, as, as, uh, Robert alluded to, we're in this zone where like we're seeing massively impressive FIPS. So maybe I only like them because they're kind of, you know, they're, they're big, awesome numbers. Uh, but I mean, I, you know, like I just wrote about Scott Feldman and I liked looking at his FIPS more than I liked looking at his ERAs over the past two years. I've kind of turned a corner where I'm not even, to be honest, all that interested in ERA as a. Uh, description of the past. I've actually moved to a point where I would rather see an imaginary, I would rather <laughs> look at an imaginary version of the past uh, than the actual version when I'm evaluating a player. Just for a single season or two, I guess. I mean, once you, if you're looking at a whole career, I would let, right. I'd rather look at ERA if it's a long yeah, career. If, right. I think probably at three, three seasons and on, I would say two seasons is my max mm-hmm. for 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 fit not for analysis but for like enjoyment uh-huh. two seasons is my, is my max and then beyond that i like a i like a nice i like a nice neutralized era beyond that uh-huh. okay love love a love a neutralized era <laughs> can't, can't get enough of the plus stats. <laughs> i am all about plus stats i i think throw everything out but the plus stats or minus stats 
I actually don't like the minus stat. I know that they're more uh, statistically rigorous, uh-huh. but I don't like them. I don't care for them. Uh-huh. Just, I like a plus. Just, <laughs> Who wants just, to say you're, minus? You're Who a positive person. Say... Yeah, you're exactly. You're always looking on the bright side of neutralized DRAs. Right. Uh, I mean, you you, uh, you you always hear like, oh, this guy's going to hit 30-plus home runs. You never hear somebody say he's going to hit 25 minus. He's, you know, it's more fun to say plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, quick question, though. Okay. Um, there's a... Uh, I, I would say that there's like a, a simmering tension between OPSers and non-OPSers, because uh-huh. uh, you know we all know that OPS is a is a weird kind of you know patched together stat that uh, <clears throat> is not you know is not nearly have the uh, the usefulness of like a like a true average, um, and yet uh, it's just so simple and it's so it's such a nice easy way to write to a larger audience. And so, you know, I, I use it quite a bit and I know a lot of people, we got uh, a, we got a question sort of about that from Mike and Philly, uh, who wrote that Fox has incorporated OPS into its broadcast. He just noticed and was wondering if we thought that was dumb or not, basically not to, yeah. not to show OBP and, and slug, but just to show OPS. Sure. Exactly. See, he's, and he's, I mean, you know, like, I mean, I, uh, uh, my friend Riley Breckenridge mm-hmm. is one of these guys, and I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Keith Law is one of these guys. And that's it is the it is clearly I think the 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 right way to do it when you're talking about um, analysis. But uh, you know, if I think that there's a there's a a point where a lot of times the the best stat isn't necessary, and just like the best, uh, well, I don't know what just like it is, but you know, uh, a lot of times. There are multiple stats that you can choose, and as a writer, which I consider myself a writer, not an not an analyst, and so as a writer, I find that OPS has a communicative value uh, that is uh, that that often exceeds the better stats, and it doesn't come at the expense of truth because I'm I'm using it in situations where uh, OPS covers the truth. You don't need to go deeper than that, uh-huh. and so so I still use it. I don't feel any guilt whatsoever. If I were if I were actually doing deep analysis, I I wouldn't, but you know, I feel no guilt when I generally when I do use it, and I feel like there's a, a little bit of a simmering tension that has not really emerged yet. But at some point in the next maybe ten years, I I do worry that OPS is going to uh, tip over into uh, completely uh, mockable territory, uh-huh. and it will be like using RBIs, and that kind of makes me sad. Well, uh, you would rather see a slash line though, right? I mean, Mike is, Mike asked why they wouldn't just show the slash line. And I don't know how much real estate there is on the screen for stats. You want to show other things too. Real estate is important in a lot of, in a lot of communication. You know, there's, you, whenever you're writing an article, you're somewhat cognizant of how many numbers you have in there. And, you know, if if one column is better than three columns when you're doing a lot of graphs sometimes, you know, or tables, I should say, sometimes. And, you know, if you're doing a, I mean, I mean, there are a lot of instances where I think OPS has uh, a, a, a brevity uh, benefit to it. And so you would not necessarily rather have that. You, um, you know, there are times when batting average does, you know, is enough. There's a, there are times when the, the worst stat in the world is enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there aren't necessarily a lot of times, but there are occasionally times, and I think the OPS, you know, covers a lot of basic writing. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, this question, I, I have a couple of questions in here that are more just looking for factual answers than discussions, I guess. Uh, this one is from Kyle. He says, Homer Bailey threw another no-hitter last night, but walked a guy. 
which is the same as throwing a one-hit shutout with no walks, which is not exactly true, but uh, in a way. Wait, uh, <laughs> it is to me? Well, okay, we can talk about that. Uh, this le- this leads me. It's actually to me. It's it's to me. It's more impressive. Right. If you're it, if you're the, if you're talking about which pitcher you would rather have going forward, knowing only I, that one thing. If you're talking about anything other than the stupid tradition of like idolizing no hitters, mm-hmm. then I mean, to me, the guy who gives up one hit and no walks, he got beat by a world class athlete. Whereas the guy who gives up no hits but one walks. He failed. He just outright failed. A batter came up and he failed. He failed to do his job. Hate him. <laughs> uh, Can't stand that guy. Get him out of my sight. This leads me to my question: How frequent are no walk shutouts? As I can tell to you that. No hit shutout. You can. Yeah, I, I can tell you. Off that. the top of your head. Off the top of my head, yeah. Since wow. 2000, there have been 28 no hit shutouts and 263 no walk shutouts. There might. There's a no, couple no, of. Off the top of your head. There's a little. It is. There's, wow, that's a, there's a little there's a little overlap there because of the perfect games. I ran a I ran a play index search because I had I had to use that crutch. I didn't have the stats <laughs> in my head. Uh huh. What'd you find? <laughs> uh, roughly the same thing. Okay. <laughs> does it does it uh, does it surprise you at all that the difference? So they're what they're about ten times <laughs> ten times more uh, yeah. of the of the no no walk variety. Um, does it surprise you that it's that different given that hits are only what, like three times more common than walks? Uh, uh, well, and, and also there's a huge incentive for a pitcher with no hits to get to finish the game, but there's really no incentive for a pitcher with no walks. I Uh I mean, if you looked at, if you looked at seven inning shutouts, you know, seven innings, no runs, no walks, mm-hmm. you'd see about a billion. If you looked at seven innings, no hits, and no runs, you'd see like two, right? Because everybody gets to keep going unless they've thrown 145 pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in fact, there's a there's a real bias that, uh, that should narrow the gap even more. So, uh, it doesn't surprise me, but I don't know why it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'll have to think about that some more. Um... Uh, yeah, really, hits are only three times more... Well, they are. Their hits are only three times more likely than walks, maybe league wide. But no hitters and, to to a lesser degree, no walkers, are the result of uh, kind of uh, extremes. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking about a pitcher who's pitching at at his max performance, and so you're going to be looking for outliers in the first place. And I would say that among pitchers who uh, are good, who are likely to throw no hitters, they probably or no walkers, there are some pitchers who walk very, very few batters, right? Like a pitcher like Kurt Schilling, it's probably like an 8-to-1 ratio, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. Kurt Schilling probably has a lot of, let, let me say, Schilling has three no walkers and uh-huh. zero zero no hitters. Uh-huh. Or does he have no hitters? He, he might have no hitters. Uh, I don't really know. remember who has no hitters, but I don't think. Kuroda. Hiroki Kuroda has four no walkers. Should we do a... Halliday Halliday has nine no walkers. Uh-huh. That's a lot of no walkers. Yeah, Kurt Schilling, I don't think he has a no hitter. Uh-huh. Uh, Pedro has four. So, on and on we go. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, next question comes from Derek. Hypothetically, if Jose Molina or someone similar was allowed to play a full season at shortstop in an alternate universe, what would happen? What would his DRS or UZR be? How many wins would it cost his team? Uh, 
Now, this made me wonder, you you wrote something once or many times maybe about how slow players are faster than we think, right? Uh, I mean, well, Molina is. Jose Molina is. Yeah. <laughs> Zach Zach Levine made a, a what? Is, what? Oh, I yeah. Zach Zach is it Levine or Levine? Levine, I think. Okay, sorry, Zach. Uh, Zachary, in fact. Yes. Zachary Levine. <laughs> uh, I uh, I don't get out much. Uh, so Zachary Levine answered a chat question asking oh, something right. along the yes. lines of was was there any <laughs> was there any facet of baseball performance at which he is better than any current player. Yeah. And he answered that he could outrun a Molina. And I responded that he's insane. Right. That we, that we vastly underrate how fast catchers are compared to normal people. That they are still, even the slow catchers, are legitimate, uh, you know, healthy, healthy adult males. And um, f- as proof, I, I offered a, the 4.7 home to first that I clocked Jose Molina at. Mm-hmm. And then I, w- I went outside and I paced off 90 feet and I took a swing and I sprinted a few times and I timed myself and it was considerably worse than 4.7. Now I'm not, I'm not a, a I'm not a super fast human being by any mm-hmm. means, but I'm a, I'm above the median in my softball league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm the number two pinch running option on my team. And you know, and I'm, I, you know, I'm like a five or a five, one home to first. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know I'm 32 years old for goodness sake, and I've ne- I haven't caught since I was 11. So uh-huh. my 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 knees are great. So uh, yeah, Molina is probably a better athlete than you give him credit for. Uh, I mean, the thing is though that like I mean you, you should see Eric Ibar up close. That yes, guy is like right. absurd how good an athlete. He is. <laughs> yes, I I mean last week Jose Molina uh, hit a ball that that one hopped the wall and he ended up at first. And mm-hmm. then there was that just incredible double play that he grounded into where Robinson Cano took, I don't know, like three seconds to get rid of the ball. Yes. Uh, and just <laughs> he was out by two steps anyway. Um, so that's in my mind. But so, if, I mean, Jose Molina compared to the typical shortstop. Uh, so the typical shortstop, on average, a shortstop gets half a chance per inning. So chances are, are assists plus putouts plus errors. Uh, so if so if a shortstop plays 150 games, 159 inning games, he'll get something like 675 chances. An average shortstop behind an average pitching staff, and all of those things. So okay. so so shortstops are involved in a lot of plays. 675. Yes. So a man who had uh, no arms and no legs would cost his team. Well, and I mean Molina wouldn't be involved in that many plays because he wouldn't right. get to nearly so, that but many. But I'm saying that the, the very max that you could be worth is 675 lost plays. Uh, yeah. Essentially 675 singles, basically. Yes. Is the, the very max. And, and some number of those would probably be taken by the third baseman, but for the most part, uh, a very small number. So, yeah, yeah some I, pop-ups. I figure he... I, I, Jose Molina, I, I would assume, could could get most balls hit within a within a step of him uh-huh. uh, I mean I don't I don't know but just I'm just judging I'm just, by the fact that yeah. he's a great defensive catcher I would think I'm, that he's I'm trying to set the max first yeah, right um, okay. okay so then so how many fewer plays would Molina get to compared to the typical shortstop or compared to the, the worst shortstop for that matter I, I, I'm trying to think of any relevant data that we would have on this I can't uh, I mean what relevant data could there be? I don't know. Uh, I mean, you could do the position. 
See, the problem is that Molina's a, a catcher, and so the positional you could theoretically do this for Adam Dunn maybe uh-huh. by doing like the positional uh, adjustments. Yeah. There just been but, no but catcher to shortstop, <laughs> no catcher to shortstop conversions. I mean, yeah, ever <laughs> would think. Yeah, and even if there was, it would be uh, a player who had that skill set, and there wouldn't really be any like there wouldn't really be any similarity. Like if Bus- let's say Buster Posey, who was a shortstop in in college, let's say somehow he 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 converted to catcher. It wouldn't actually tell you anything because you couldn't then compare his catching to Molina's and say that mm. that's any way apples to apples. I mean, the, you're comparing him to Molina on defense with a completely different skill set that has no relationship whatsoever to mm-hmm. to shortstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get, God, uh, yeah, I don't really know, dude. There's no way you could have. There's no way you could have a, a winning team with a single oh, no. shortstop. I, mean, no, you would I, a, I would guess. I mean, if I you would, had an above would, average defensive team at every no, other I, position. I would feel comfortable saying that Molina uh, is a, is at shortstop is a hundred run uh, differential with the average shortstop. Uh, yeah, that sounds, sounds reasonable. So if that were the case, then it, like last year's nationals would have still won 90. Yeah. I guess so. Hmm. Seems like there's a better option out there. <laughs> there has to be a better option. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, next question, and this is another interesting question from Adam in Dallas. There's no way that this could happen, <laughs> which never stops us, uh, but it's no less ridiculous than infielders crowding around the batter's box, so hear me out. Let's say Justin Verlander wasn't just an awesome pitcher, but also a pretty awesome hitter, and Detroit needed a DH. Hypothetically, what would Verlander's true slash line have to be to justify him playing DH when he's not pitching? I'd have to believe that at a certain point the bat would be too tempting not to have in the lineup, or is the break-even point so extreme that he would be permanently moved off the mound to play only DH? Or I guess it could go the other way, possibly. Uh, what if it was a more marginal pitcher? Why wouldn't he? Why why wouldn't he play DH? What? I feel like I'm missing the the reason that he wouldn't be the DH. Wouldn't uh, I mean if he, if he were the if he were the best hitter on Detroit, they'd play him there, right? I mean, uh, for starters, if he were that good a hitter, yeah. The, I mean, when a player is a two way star coming out of college, they virtually always put him at position because it's a much more it's a route that's much more likely to lead to long career and success. Uh, but if he were still an awesome hitter, even after taking you know a couple years off from hitting. Uh, I mean, I guess the idea is that what he he would get he'd get injured. And yeah, he'd get injured. Want, he'd get fatigued. He wouldn't be able to pitch as well. So here's the here's my here's I guess here's my answer to that. I mean, you sure you don't want him to get injured, but teams let their pitchers hit, and uh, they could like a you know the typical pitcher is going to get you know a hit every you know, 10 times up and it's not going to be a very useful hit. In a lot of situations, he's going to go up there and even a single won't really do much for you. And so if you were that worried about, if you really thought that hitting was that likely to injure pitchers, then teams would probably forfeit that plate appearance a lot. Um, Because, you know, the the incentive to using that guy is virtually nil. Whereas if you're talking about a, you know, a guy like Verlander who has a slash line of, you know, like a a 900 OPS. See, I just used OPS. Mm -hmm. If he has a 900 OPS... Uh, the incentive to use him is, you know, a lot higher. So I, I, I don't know why they would shy away from injury. I mean, pitchers don't get hurt 
hitting that much, right? And they, you know, they're allowed to run the bases. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're allowed to do these things, uh, even though they contribute nothing as is. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, certain pitchers have been used as pinch hitters, uh, and they weren't great hitters. They were just good for pitchers, really, and they weren't as good pitchers as Verlander, so there wasn't as much at stake, I guess. But, but yeah, I think I think you're right. If he were if he were an above average major league hitter or an above average DH, uh, I mean, he probably wouldn't play every day. Probably not. How tiring do you think it is to DH? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know either. I mean, like, I think the way if you DH the way Travis Hafner DHs, where you're like running a 5K in between every at bat under yeah. the tunnels, uh, then that's <laughs> probably tiring. But I, I would think that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, I guess the the real reason is because it's not so much how tiring it is in game; it's how tiring it is between games and how much time you have to spend honing your skills and taking batting practice and all those things, which is why yeah. you would never have a, yeah. a, a really great pitcher who is also a really great hitter. That's true. So assuming right. this, he this... has somehow reached this point and been able to do all of those things, he's just really good at multitasking, um, then I guess he could keep doing that. So here's a question then. Let's say you already have – let's say you already have – let's say this is Verlander. And he's doing this. Let's say he hits like, uh, you know, he hits like David Ortiz and he pitches like Verlander and he blows out his shoulder. Now, do you take a year off from having your star DH in order to get your star pitcher back too? Or at that point, do you just say, well, fun while it lasted and then move him to first base permanently? And you're saying he could hit through the injury? Yeah, the shoulder doesn't affect any of his first base, first basing or, or hitting. Mm. Uh, I guess I'd keep playing him probably. Yeah, probably at some point in his career he would just have some sort of, you know, the the pitching would get in the way of the hitting. I guess. Yeah. It's a it's amazing that we haven't had this. It, like it really goes to show how hard baseball is. That if you, I mean, these guys, a lot of them were the best hitters on their college teams and could have legitimately been drafted. Uh, you know, both in in a, as a hitter and a pitcher, and yet. They take a couple years off, and they don't work on it, uh, you know, at the same level, and they don't get used to that faster speed, and then they get up, and every single one of them is terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Next question comes from Tyler. Uh, okay. Uh, here in Vancouver, BC, where I will be in a month or so, there was a legendary semi-professional team of Japanese Canadians. Ben, why do yes. you all, why do you take all your vacations in the same place? <laughs> It's a it's a great place. <laughs> I like Vancouver a lot. Uh, here in Vancouver, there is a legendary semi-professional team of Japanese Canadians, known as the Asahi, that played from 1914 until the outset of war in 1942. In order to make up for their lack of size compared to their competition, the Asahi put a strong emphasis on OBP, unique base running strategies, and defensive prowess. In one particular game, in which the Asahi were facing a former professional pitcher who could be described as Verlander-esque, the team's manager decided to utilize a new strategy. Knowing that his batters were unlikely to get any hits against this powerhouse pitcher, he instructed every one of his batters to bunt. Each player then utilized a different bunting technique that would force the infielders to run as much as possible. 
Much like the Ropadope, the intended effect of this strategy was to wear down the opposing team with the added bonus of frustrating the hell out of them. In the end, the Asahi won the game, scoring runs through a combination of walks, errors, and squeeze plays. The opposing pitcher recorded a no-hitter, but still lost the game. With this in mind, I wanted to know if you think this could be an effective strategy for an underpowered slash speedy team to utilize against the Tigers or a similarly sluggish team, and whether you think the Tigers' hitting would suffer as their infielders became increasingly fatigued from chasing after balls. This is a heck of a, of a slate of questions. This is only like the fourth I, weirdest question we've had. <laughs> yeah, this, this week is great. People really step up. Um, so do, you believe this? do you believe this story? Did you do any background? Uh, I mean, I, I looked up the team a little bit, but, uh, I didn't look for this particular story. No, um, I'm going to say that there is no way that this would work. Yeah. Uh, very skeptical. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not skeptical that it would work, uh, in, in, in that league. Right. Maybe yeah. Maybe it worked in a, in a semi-pro league, yeah. but, uh, even with the Tigers, even with, you know, Cabrera and Fielder charging in from the corners or whatever, uh, I think major leaguers are are so good that that there is no way that this would work at all. It would be yeah. terribly terribly uh, ineffective strategy. Yeah, you can. I I like in college they bunt. Um, you know yeah. they bunt like like twelve times a game, and I know that there's some complaint that they're playing too much small ball. But as I understand it, their fielders aren't good enough to actually get yes. the out that often, and so what it ends up being kind of. And Sometimes it's a, really effective. Yeah, and the run environment is is lower. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, and so but anyway, so you can see how against uh, a non 2013 major league team, uh, you know, it's harder to make uh, you know a couple of, you know, to 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 make a lot of these plays. Um, you know, uh, <coughs> pardon me. Uh, so I wouldn't think though that the, I'm trying to think if there's any way because because the thing is a. a di- each player then utilized a different bunting technique that would force the infielders to run as much as possible. And I'm trying to figure out what that would mean. Because, like, where do you bunt it? You bunt it to third, <laughs> you bunt only it to a couple first, options, right? and then you, you, cord- yeah. you sort of can bunt it to second. You could try to bunt it to short. But in that in that sense, you're sort of spreading out the running. Like, if this were going to yeah, tire them, right. you wouldn't think it would. And the other thing is that, I mean... Outfielders. Well, there's run. the. I guess there's a wheel play that would be on kind of. So everyone has to run. It's not just the fielder that you direct it to. Uh, if you. Oh, right, because the second the second baseman would have to cover first. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I mean, when you think about a, fl- I mean, a, you're you're talking about if if they're recording these outs like before they get before you have a chance to tire them out if they're presumably recording these outs, mm-hmm. um. You're talking about having to run like three times every every ten minutes, which is like what some outfielders do when a fly ball pitcher is on the mound. And what it seems to me that what would really happen is that because you'd probably be bunting the first or second pitch a lot, and you'd probably be making a lot of quick outs, that your team would be on the field all the time getting tired, because mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot more tired to be standing on the field than sitting in your own dugout. And so it might have the reverse effect. I mean, time of possession is not a a concept that has much um, relevance in baseball, but in this case, it might. I could see it backfiring. I also don't think that, uh, as he asks, if Verlander would or the pitcher would just start hitting batters on purpose. I think the pitcher would not start hitting batters on purpose <laughs> at this point. I think the pitcher would be throwing fastballs right down the middle. Mm-hmm. 
I do. You, I don't know. I'm trying to like. Do you think there's not really that much you can do with a bunt? The the strategy uh, uh, is is intriguing, except that baseball's field is so limited. There's just there's a lot of guys covering a small amount of territory that close plus, to the batter. Plus, if you're doing this every time, I mean, the the reason why a bunt works usually, or or the expectation that it will work, is because the defense isn't expecting it. So if you're doing it over and over and over again, then they're just going to play in. They're not even going to have to run that much. Um, yeah, I don't think it can work. We had a similar question a couple of weeks ago that asked whether it's uh, whether an all-speed team that was just nothing but like Alex Sanchez is <laughs> would have a, a like a an, a uh, building effect where uh, you know every single guy was stealing second, stealing third every time, and whether like the catcher would get tired and start throwing the ball away, and whether the pitcher would just be so mentally exhausted from holding them on, and whether it would build on each other and I thought about that one for a long time, but we didn't we didn't answer it. But it's sort of a similar question. Is there any? I guess the, the both questions follow the same basic idea, which is: is there an equivalent to the full court press or the um, you know the hurry up offense in football, where you take control of pace of game in a way that makes the defense, um, which is presumably in this scenario not as conditioned as you are, not as in in quite as good a shape. Uh, to sustain the speed, uh, whether the defense becomes, uh, you know, the uh, off balance, and I just think baseball's pace doesn't allow for it. it, mm-hmm. it I think it probably can't be done. I'm, so I will keep thinking about it and see if there's an equivalent in baseball, but yeah. I can't think of one right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jacob wants to know how much young talent do you think would be fair in exchange for Mike Trout or Bryce Harper? Would all of the top ten prospects in baseball be enough? What about yes. what about the top fifteen or twenty? <laughs> yes, more so. More. I would. Oh, I sorry, I didn't hear you. Yes, I'll take the twenty. You think it would? T- you would. Top ten would, would not be enough for one. It, of, it would. One of them? It would be. It would be. But if someone were offering the top twenty, I would take that. Oh instead. well, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm going to hold out. I'm going to hold out for the best offer. Will you go? How much? How much higher will you go? Will you go to fifty? <laughs> sure. I'll take the fifty. Uh. So how? Yeah, I would take the top to do it then. I mean, it, uh, it varies, trout, I guess. Yeah, depends it, it, on whether you have a Trout or Harper in the top five prospects well, in baseball. But yeah, but even I mean, even uh, Harp maybe Harper's a little bit of a different case. But I I don't think before Trout, uh, I know it seems to me that I, I do remember people saying like, oh, you know, Trout is one of the best prospects ever uh, when he before he had you know before he had come up last year. But I feel like I hear that every year, mm. and so I didn't. I don't take it that seriously. I don't think there's a huge. There's there's some difference, but I don't think there's a huge difference between the top prospect uh, at any given time from from year to year. Some, but not a huge. Mm-hmm. But there's a, you know, there's a huge difference between, you know, Trout, or you know, the best young player of like 19, you know, 78 or whatever. Some some years have a better version of Trout than than others, right? So that's a. Gosh, that was. Where am I going with this, Ben? Uh-huh. Uh, what I'm saying is that Trout specifically is so good that uh, you know I would probably ask more for Trout than I would probably any other young players uh, a year and a half in. But uh, I would say that at this point in time, uh, I would certainly take the top four for Trout. I would almost certainly take the top three. And I, so the the top prospect in baseball becomes a star like half the time, I think. Yeah. 
and you get the right, and you get the extra year and a half that Trout's already given up of of free, you know, of of, of minimum minimum salary. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, you don't expect anybody to play like Trout. No. Trout is the best first year and a half ever. Yes. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I would take the top three. Two, I wouldn't take. Off the top of my head, I would not take two. Yeah, I wouldn't take two, and it might vary by year. There might be years when I wouldn't take the top three, and others when I would. Um, uh huh. Would you always take the top four? Uh, definitely take the top five. Probably take the top four, but mm, might vary a bit. Also, always take the top five. I think. What about what about one three five seven nine? <laughs> Um, it, it, oh, no, I don't care. I don't care about your answer. I have okay. a new question. Okay. Uh, starting at a hundred and counting, uh, or <laughs> That's counting down hundred, okay. hundred, ninety nine, ninety eight. starting at a hundred. How low do you have to go? Oh, probably 75. Yeah, that's a good one. I did a piece one time for the Orange County Register about whether the top whether you would rather have the top 10 prospects in baseball or the 11th to 100th or all the others. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really fun to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what my uh, findings are. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can find it right now, but okay. I, I don't know if I will. You might, yeah, you might run into problems just developmentally. If you, if you, if you took 25 prospects uh, and a lot of them were at the same level, you might have trouble actually finding roster spots for all of them. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's okay. You look for that and I'll read. Oh, I found oh, it. Okay. What, what's better 10 elite prospects or 5,900 non prospects. So it was, uh, who will provide more value by war this year? Uh, and, uh, I don't You know what? They, they changed the site, so I can't even read it. <laughs> it's completely destroyed. Disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, look up the look up the word document at some point. Uh, okay. Last one from Saxon, who is a California exile in Brooklyn. I was watching a Padres game the other night when five seven, one hundred and fifty pound Alexi Amarista came up to bat. His stats appear on the screen, and under home runs, the number four was listed. Alexi Amarista, whose growth seemed to stop somewhere around eighth or ninth grade, has four home runs. Four, all caps. So I just went over to the ESPN Home Run Tracker site, and only two of those home runs were deemed just enough. None of them considered lucky. In fact, even one of them was over 400 feet. My question is, how? How does a guy like Alexi Amarista have four bombs this year, and someone like J.B. Shuck, uh, your favorite, who is 5'11 and 195 pounds, or Elvis Andrus, who is 6 feet, 200 pounds, not have any this year, let alone someone like Shuck having none in his career? I understand that guys like Shuck and even Andrews are probably not trying to swing for the fences. They aren't that type of hitter, but clearly neither is Amarista. How are there players who are so much bigger than Alexi not able to knock one out, and yet someone so small as Alexi can hit a handful of home runs? This is weird, right? Etc., uh, etc. Et then he asks if there's ever been a giant man of a player who didn't hit home runs, uh, sort of the anti-Amarista. And I guess... Um, and he says, this weird discrepancy seems to make all scouting evaluation of a player's body crumble before me. Please help. 
Uh, did, you do a play, did you do a play index search on this? Uh, I didn't. Well, I did uh, in January when I was doing a transaction analysis on Ryan Sweeney. Uh, Ryan Sweeney is is kind of my go-to example of a big guy who doesn't hit home runs. He is 6'4", 225 pounds, and he has hit 18 home runs in over 2,000 plate appearances. Um, he's actually, he has four this year in 121 plate appearances. So he's slugging 527 somehow, but his career slugging, even including that, is 387 his career iso is just over 100 and he is a very large person um and when i looked that up in january there was one player who was as tall as sweeney and weighed as much as sweeney uh had received as much playing time as sweeney and had an isolated power as low as sweeney's and it was larry mclean who played in the dead ball era and was a catcher also (laughs) so Sweeney is uh, kind of an outlier in that respect. Um, I don't know what I haven't looked in the opposite direction to see what the I, I don't know whether it would be like Melot or someone um, who was tiny but hit for a lot of power. Uh, so I, I guess it I guess there are a lot of factors that could account for this, right? I mean, there's there's approach. There are some guys who don't try to hit home runs and. Maybe if they did, they could hit as many as Amarista, but it would cost them in, in some other aspect of their game. And then there are a lot of things that just aren't, I guess, aren't very well correlated with size, like, you know, your approach at the plate and what pitches you swing at. And uh, even how strong you are isn't perfectly correlated with your size. Um, and there's bat speed and just uh, a whole lot of other things that I guess could play into it. And your your swing plane, do you have a level swing? Do you have an uppercut swing? Do you hit grounders all the time? Um, so, I, I mean, I agree. I, I'm kind of uh, also surprised when I see some small people just be slap hitters or just hit everything on the ground and never hit a home run. And then other people the same size will hit a home run every now and then. And I kind of wonder why that is. Is one guy just that much stronger than the other? But I think I think there are various factors that add up to an explanation there. Yeah, I think that it's not as much as base running and throwing arm, but to some degree your bat speed is just something that you're kind of born with, and it doesn't necessarily... I mean, Greg Maddox can throw the ball a lot harder, harder than big fat guys can, you know, than virtually everybody who's ever been alive who's bigger than him mm-hmm. uh, can throw it. Uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, happens with your body, with your, you know, your, what do you call those, your fast twitch yes muscle fibers or something like that Uh um and uh yeah i also remember uh vaguely that uh my grandfather imparted this lesson on me when i was young that uh fred couples at the time hit the ball further than anybody in the world uh as a golfer and he his swing was so smooth and soft looked like he was doing it in slow motion and he he would always explain that it was timing it wasn't about it wasn't about swinging hard. It was about having perfect timing and having that, you know, that ball hit that or that club hit that ball at just the moment of maximum speed. So, uh, I don't know. That doesn't help. That doesn't help at all. <laughs> Fred Couples, everybody. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in Chuck's case, you wrote about Chuck and you've watched Chuck. Uh, I mean, he only has 275 plate appearances in the majors and 
over half of his batted balls, I guess, go on the ground. So that cuts down on his home run potential. Um, what what do you think the primary factor with him not hitting home runs is? Uh, I forget. I wrote about it, so you can just Google it. <laughs> just Google Sam Miller, JB Shock. It's on there. It's all there on the internet. It's half-hearted. Okay. I mean, I put a lot of heart into that article. Yeah, you did. I edited it. I should remember what you said, and <laughs> I don't. Um, okay, so maybe we can maybe we can ask the four people who read it. <laughs> right, that was to, to write in and tell us. <laughs> okay, uh, so we're done for the week. Uh, BP is not publishing things on Thursday and Friday, so we are not podcasting on Thursday and Friday. We'll be back on Monday, and we hope you have an excellent mini vacation if you have one, and a nice Fourth of July. Um, Kyle, the the person who asked us the question about uh, the the no walk games and the no hit games, said at the end of his question that he would be sure to think about reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Uh, so we appreciate that, Kyle, and we we, we hope that we hope that some <laughs> others of you will think about it. Maybe some of you will even do it. Uh, we like ratings and reviews, and. It occurs to me that we never tell people that they should subscribe to Baseball Prospectus, which seems like something that we should say once in a while. Uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, I know that there are people who are listening to this who don't subscribe. Yeah. And and it's a it's a great it's just a great resource in your life, and it costs like what does it cost? Forty dollars in two thousand. In nineteen nine in, in two thousand one dollars. Yeah, and the price has never been raised since BP became a subscription site, and we publish way way more stuff than than BP used to at the same price. Pennies a, pennies a day. Pennies and a day. The most compelling argument is that really, if you're wasting your time listening to me and Sam talk, you could be reading what we write instead, and I think it's it's better. Yeah, exactly. We're like, not good I don't at wanna, this. <laughs> no, this is the thing that we are worst at yes, in the world. Right. So if this clears your bar for what you will spend your time on listening to us talk, then we are like, yes, this is like pitchers hitting. We are not. We were not selected for this site for our podcast ability. No, we were selected for our writing ability. Yeah. And this is supposed to be the awful part that you barely make it through. So right. just imagine how good we are on the mound, on the bump. Yes. Right. We're in our element. Okay. Uh, we'll be back next Monday.